You're listening to Culture and Christianity, a podcast of In-Town Community Church. You will find in the description for this episode links to handouts and resources that are mentioned during this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Come in. Join us. Have a seat. And uh, we're going to kick off week one of four. Christian nationalism, what your pastor wants you to know. And uh, so glad to have you with us today. Same time, same place, the next three Sundays. Um, One thing that helps to increase our learning is sharing what we learn with other people. So bring a friend next week. Bring a friend the week after that. Bring a different friend the week after that. Um, Love for as many people as possible to feel welcome over these several weeks. Now, you'll notice from our title that what we're doing has a specific bent to it. Right? This is very personal. This is... This is not some sort of academic survey of everything one could say about politics. This is not an academic survey of everything you could say about nationalism. We'll talk a little bit today about the difference between nationalism and Christian nationalism. This is not even a survey of everything you say about Christian nationalism. This is very personal. This is me, your pastor, learning and wanting to share with you some of the things that I've been learning. Uh, So we're going to come from a Christian framework. I'm a Christian pastor talking to a room full of... Most people in this room are part of the flock here at In Town. And uh, so these these are just kind of reflections on where, where God is leading me and helping me to grow, where I think that He may be helping us to grow as a group. Um, If you're a reader and you want to read more, if you're a listener and you want to listen to some podcasts, or maybe you're a video watcher and you want to see a good video, um, I've got a resource guide. I brought a few hard copies of it. We're going to put an electronic version of this in this week's newsletter. So uh, the best way to use this would be to see the electronic version. You can just click on links that will take you straight to articles, uh, audio recordings and a couple videos. So uh, if, if you're like, I can't even hear what you're saying until I know there is a reading list somewhere. <laughs> I got you covered. Okay? All right, that's some preliminaries. Let's, uh, let's pray for a moment. Lord God, the first thing that uh, as a pastor I want to know and I want people in this room to know is that everything depends on you. And um, no matter what I've been learning, no matter what I've prepared, no matter what we want to learn over these four weeks, none of it will make any difference unless you are at work. And so we pray that you would change us, that you would stretch us, make us grow, um, encourage us where we need it, Humble us where we need that. Um, Fill our hearts with love for you and love for people. And the only way that will happen is if we see clearly your great love for us. Those are the things we pray for this day and every day. Amen.
so we won't have as much time for group discussion and Q&A today as we will in the weeks to come. But we want to start the day with some, some time for reflection. So this is you reflecting on four questions. This is not time to discuss these. The, they, the answers may be something you want to share. They may not be. But let's start with reflecting on four questions. If you have a handout, you'll see them in front of you. If not, you'll hear them right now. The first question is why. Why are you anxious that we are discussing this topic? Not why are you anxious about the topic, but does the fact that we're discussing this over the next four weeks make you nervous in any way? What are you nervous about? Why are you anxious? Why are you excited? Are you excited? Are you interested? And if so, why? Just think about that. Maybe jot down an answer to. That's a why question. A who question. Who are you thinking about? Do you know someone who says, I'm a Christian nationalist, and you're excited about that? Do you know someone who says, I'm a Christian nationalist, and you're angry about it? Do you know somebody who's confused about this topic and you want to help them? Are you thinking of an individual? Are you thinking of a group of people? Are you, who's on your mind today as we enter into this topic? That's a who question. Again, jot down. Maybe who's, who's God calling you to think about over the next several weeks? Uh, <clears throat> what question? What are you afraid of? Now, this is a question about just the state of politics in the United States right now. What is it about the state of anything political in our culture at this moment that makes you afraid? What are you afraid of? Uh, this is time for the cynics to actually write something down because the cynics are going, I ain't doing this. This is a waste of time. This doesn't matter. Just get to the stuff. Stop delaying. No, no. This is really important. Right? So much of what we're going to do over the next several weeks is rooted in fear. So if, if you're not ready to be honest about what you're afraid of, the kind of deep impact that we want to have over the next several weeks is not going to happen. So take a minute. Whether it works its way out through your hands and something written is not the most important thing. But are you, are you honestly assessing, hey, here's... Here's something I'm really afraid of. And aware question. Do you have a place to take that fear? Here's what I'm afraid of. And no, I don't have a place to take that fear. Or here's what I'm afraid of. And yes, I do have a place to take that fear. Here's where I know I can take that. No matter what it is, I know I have a place to take it. Now, volunteer exercise. I'm not going to ask for a lot of people to do this. Is there anybody who'd be willing to share with the group out loud? Real loud because you don't have a microphone? 
an answer to one of those questions? All right. What question are you going to share an answer for, Jim? Uh, uh, for the who question, who? I thought of my dad. Your dad. He's like a prime Christian nationalist candidate for recruit. Okay. And I interact with my dad, so I'd like to, I'd like to think about this a little more. And be All more right. Prepared. Yeah, so um, gets very real and personal very quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, it's going to be think about people that we know and love. Good. All right, buddy. Okay. All right. Uh, Steve Yates does a lot of marriage counseling, so you know, just <laughs> over the next four weeks, if, if anybody needs to call Steve up, just call him up. All right. There you go. What? Okay. Sue. Yeah. Um, the question about where can you take your fear, or what are you afraid of? Um, this morning, John read a devotion on Philippians 4, 4 to 7, and we're very familiar with the anxiety part, have no anxiety whatsoever. Yeah. But <clears throat> the first part is, the Lord is near. And so where can I take that fear? Just reminding myself that God is near and close to me. And yeah. Great now, reminder. If, if, if we have trust in Christ, then we have a place to take our fear. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to become cynical about that. Hey, my fears are real, and Jesus is kind of pretend. It's easy to fall into that, right? But that's why we do this. We remind each other, not pretend, not pretend. More real than the fear, bigger than the fear, stronger than the fear. Yeah, great. Okay, one more. Okay, so, so Bob is saying one of the things that concerns him about sort of the state of politics in general and discussions of Christians in politics and probably Christian nationalism is, is how does the, the whole concept of what it means to be a Christian get distorted, misunderstood, uh, caricatured? We'll talk some about that. And we'll talk about the fact, this, we'll talk this morning about the fact that Jesus says that's going to happen. And that he's going to be with us when that happens. And we can take that fear to him. Um, So we aren't shocked by it. We aren't concerned. We're going to learn a little bit about how we might lean into that. Um, So probably next week we'll spend more time uh, diving into that. But we'll lay some foundations this morning. Okay, keep wrestling with those questions. Might be a good refresher to come back to those each week as you're able to be with us. Your pastor wants you to know three things. How to experience gospel peace, how to grow in gospel wisdom, and how to build gospel bridges. Those are the three things we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. Right? And uh, I'm not promising a third, a third, a third every week. Right? It's not going to work like that. I'm not even promising we'll hit all three of those every week. But over the next four weeks, we're going to hit those three. This morning, we'll hit... A little bit on all three. How to experience gospel peace. Um, Anxiety and fear are very closely related to any discussion of Christian nationalism. 
Christian nationalists are often anxious and afraid about something that's motivating them. Other people who don't get it are afraid of what Christian nationalists might say or do next. And so how do we experience peace in that? How do we become multipliers of peace? So that the peace that we have as followers of Christ uh, begins to overflow into uh, the lives of other people around us. How do we grow in gospel wisdom to understand uh, what, 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 is, what, what is nationalism? What does that word even mean? What's the distinction between nationalism and a healthy kind of love for country? Um, and uh, what, what is Christianity? So growing in wisdom as we understand uh, how to lean into those conversations and how to build gospel bridges uh, so that even a topic like this doesn't become a, a way of making war against our neighbors, uh, but a way of carrying love across the bridge. Those are the three things. Okay, reminder, this uh, kind of umbrella, Christianity and culture uh, at InTown uh, we're leaning in with specific uh, posture, and it's not the posture of a... You can tell these are tourists, right? <laughs> Number one, they're pausing to take a picture of the Eiffel Tower. If you live in Paris, you don't stop and take a picture because it's always there. You, you're tired of it. You've taken too many pictures already. You wish your friends who come to visit would shut up about the Eiffel Tower already. Um, the other way you can tell they're tourists is this right here. <laughs> Selfie stick is the dead giveaway, right? Um, now, this is not a pose made up because we didn't have three cameras and 12 suitcases and a Hawaiian shirt and a fedora that's out of place, right? But um, as we lean into being a sent people, we want to keep remembering that these distinctions, tourists visit, missionaries invest. God is sending us into the world, not just to know a few cutesy facts about what's happening in the American political landscape and then go back into our hidey hole nice and comfortable. We are meant to invest in the, the time and place he has put us. Tourists critique, missionaries love and serve. Tourists say how bad the food is. Tourists say they don't put ice in the drinks. Tourists are always complaining. You know, the towels aren't big enough at the hotel or uh, the sheets aren't crisp enough or whatever, right? Missionaries are like, this is where God has put me and I love the people here. And sometimes, yeah, the towels aren't big enough and it irritates me. And sometimes I get irritated. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but we are ascent people we love and serve our neighbors, right? Tourists have an itinerary. Missionaries have a calling. So the next four weeks is not like a, this is my Christian checklist. I've, I've, I've learned about a controversial topic. And uh, now I know how to answer all the arguments and debates with the people I'm never going to meet because I don't love them enough to meet them. Missionaries have calling, not itinerary. That's the way we're leaning in. So we're going to start here. Gospel wisdom. Let Your pastor wants you to know what Christian nationalism is. Right? We want to have a, a good understanding, a good working definition. Um, and uh, so let's, let's begin there. This will take up, uh, you know, the next, say, 20 minutes of our time this morning. Then we'll learn about some peace and how to build some bridges. 
great resource would be uh, a report by the Pew Research Center. Um, you could find it under this heading. This is the title given to their final report on this topic. 45% of Americans say U.S. should be a Christian nation. Then you read the subtitle here, but they hold differing opinions about what that phrase means. Um, and two-thirds of U.S. adults say churches should keep out of politics. So that's interesting, isn't it? If nearly half of American adults surveyed said this should be a Christian nation, but also two-thirds said it should be a Christian nation in which churches keep out of politics. All right, probably some of these people saying this should be a Christian nation are working on two different understandings of what that means, at least two. And if you read this report, it's more like 52 different understandings of what it would mean for this to be a Christian nation. Uh, very careful research uh, done pretty recently. This was published in October 2022. They got a PDF here, the complete report. They've got short breakout articles like this one that give you some highlights and headliners. Um, as I've looked through it, it looks very careful, very, very thorough, a good place to start. This survey was done not about Christian nationalism. The survey topics were broader than that. It was sort of what are the general ideas of relationship between faith and politics. And so it's not a survey about Christian nationalism. A lot of information about that topic came out of their work. Right? So if you just quoted this headline, it would feel very different than if you get down in the weeds. And that, that's just true about so many things, isn't it? <laughs> the headlines often sound very dramatic, and they sound like they're about one thing when in the actual complexity. Let's dig a little deeper. Uh, Pew Research Center, Google that. Google Christian Nationalism Pew Research, you'll, you'll wind up at this page. Uh, very helpful and um, good place to start. Here are some of the takeaways. Fitting a broad definition according to the work of the Pew Research Center. Fitting a broad definition of Christian nationalism. Now, remember, they're saying... The, the, so broad that uh, there, there are a whole lot of differing opinions about what Christian nationalism would mean or be. So, fitting a broad definition of Christian nationalism, according to the results of this survey, are 45% of Americans, okay, that's, that's the headline right there, right? 45% of Americans fit a broad definition of Christian nationalism. So broad, in fact, that I don't think everything that falls under the umbrella should be called Christian nationalism, but we'll get there later. 65% of black Protestants fall under that broad definition of we are Christian nationalists. Over 50% of non-evangelical white Protestants fit their broad definition of Christian nationalism too, and about a third of Hispanic Catholics. So whatever this broad definition is, is broad enough to hold fairly large chunks of some pretty diverse communities. All right. 
45% of all Americans who participated in their research, 65% of black participants, Protestants who participated, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how many people have heard said that they have heard nothing at all about Christian nationalism? Want to take a guess? How many people? TJ, you got, you're like, that brow is saying, come on. Have you been living on the moon? You've heard nothing about this? 50% of the people who participated said, I've heard nothing at all about it. Now, do you suppose there's any overlap between that 50% and some of these people? So, I've heard nothing at all about it, but I answer the questions in a way that makes you think I fit under some broad definition of it. We're talking about something pretty wiggly and squishy here, right? So that's why we need to be really clear. We, we have a good working definition. What are we even talking about? All right. Here is a quote from one of the survey participants. One of the things that's helpful about the Pew Research is that they give you like these broad, you know, very sweeping statistical, but then they also give you some very boots on the ground, specific quotes, real people. One of their participants says, this is what Christian nationalism means. So this is this participant's working definition of Christian nationalism. White dudes who are scared to lose power to women and minorities, hiding behind a Bible they don't even believe in to retain power. Now, in a week to come, we're going to hear a great quote by a, a, a black Atlanta leader named Justin Gibney. And he says that talking about politics is like saying stuff about somebody's mother. <laughs> right? That you can get insulted and offended real fast. So... Maybe even just hearing that read out loud somehow offends or insults. We're going to hear Jesus tell us later, it's okay. Being offended and insulted is part of following me. It's all right. Um, And maybe you're offended or insulted by the fact that somebody sitting next to you is offended and insulted by hearing this. It's okay. Being offended and insulted at your fellow Christian (laughs) is part of following Jesus, too. We don't follow each other. There's a reason for that. (laughs) I love you, Rod. I don't follow you. (laughs) You get it. Absolutely. Follow Jesus. So uh, this, this is probably... I would say this is a good working definition uh, for a a pretty broad cross-section of our culture. So, now that's not the definition I'm going to work toward this morning. But we need to understand that if we're talking about Christian nationalism, many people think this is the conversation we are having. So we need to we need to love people well. What are you afraid of and do you have a place to take your fear? Here's what stands out most to me when I read that quote. Well, you can tell what stands out most to me when I read that quote, can't you? <laughs> Jimmy's a Clemson grad. He likes the color orange. He highlights stuff in orange. That's, uh, yeah, okay. 
or a critique of Christianity. Bob, you mentioned that, kind of a, what do people understand about Christianity? I mean, one perception of Christianity among a pretty large swath of our culture right now is that we say we believe the Bible, but we actually don't. And that should be a wake-up call for us, right? Um, let's, let's, let's believe what we say we believe. Uh, the largest group, according to the Pew Research, with a favorable view of Christian nationalism. Do you take a favorable view of Christian nationalism or not? Yes or no? The largest group saying, yes, I take a favorable view of this topic. 10%. Those who identify as white evangelicals. The, the biggest single sort of demographic block saying, yes, I have a positive view of Christian nationalism was this sort of 10% slice of the pie of those saying yes, and that 10% white evangelical Christians. Second largest group saying, yes, I take a favorable view, 9% black Protestants. Hmm. I don't think you'd be surprised to hear white evangelical Christians making up the largest single group here. Might be surprised that black Protestant Christians would just be one tick behind. And probably those black Protestants, if they have a favorable view of Christian nationalism, aren't using this definition of Christian nationalism, right? So again, we, we need a good, solid working definition because we're not all understanding this language in the same way. Um, <clears throat> okay. Now we're going to skip. No, we're not going to skip that one. All right. What do we care about the Spanish-American War in the 1800s? A lot. But here's, here's why I use this definition. It's from a book about that war by Matthew McCullough. And um, here's what's interesting. The way he defines Christian nationalism, an understanding of American identity and significance held by Christians wherein the nation is a central actor in the world historical purposes of the Christian God. I'm not sure this is careful scholarship, and here's why. This one line, maybe the book as a whole is great careful scholarship. But this one line... I think it's uh, not as careful as it could be. Here's why. Could you read this sentence and walk away with the impression that all Christians hold this view? Right? Held by Christians. Not by some Christians, or by Christians who identify as such and such, or Christians from this background or this group, but just sort of broadly by Christians. Right, And so, we want to work toward a more careful definition than, than what we might find a lot of resources. Uh, Oxford University Press has this, okay, I'm just not going to lie. They're cute, and they're colorful, 
and that is one of the reasons to love them. Uh, there are these little books called A Very Short Introduction to, and then about 300 topics. And I don't want to collect all the Pokemons. <laughs> I can't afford to collect all these books, but man, wouldn't I love to have them all. Just because it's so satisfying to walk into the, a bookshop in Oxford and see the entire set, just rainbow of colors and a very short introduction to fundamentalism, a very short introduction to Islam, a very short induction, uh, introduction to Socrates, a very, yes, a very short introduction to American football. Yes, sign me up. I want it. A very short introduction to nationalism by Stephen Grosby. Um, it's on our resource list. There's another one, very short introduction to populism uh, that's on our resource list as well. This is uh, the definition in that book of nationalism. Now, it's not a very short introduction to Christian nationalism specifically. It's a very short introduction to nationalism more broadly. So, if you want to understand Christian nationalism, let's start with just what's nationalism. Here's his definition, and it's of, of all the reading I've been doing, it's the one that I th- think is the best kind of working definition. Belief that the nation is the only goal worthy of pursuit. The nation demands unquestioned and uncompromising loyalty. And if this is the only goal worth pursuing, and it demands your complete loyalty, then, not surprisingly, that would lead toward an attempt to silence any other competing views of the nation. What has the nation been? What should it be? Who are we actually? Nationalism tends to want to restrict that and define it and push out different understandings. All right, so core components... Nation is the primary goal. Loyalty should be undivided, unquestioned, and you should get with the program. And if you're not with the program, we don't want to hear about it. Get with the program. All right. In a minute, what we're going to do is add some highlights. Guess what color they will be? Shockingly, I know, orange. We're going to add some components that would make this a definition of Christian nationalism. Because right now, it's just a generic definition of nationalism. So you you could have Islamic nationalism. You could have a communist atheist version of nationalism. Right? Uh, Anybody know who... uh, Kirill of Russia is? Does that name ring a bell for anyone? What century did he live in? Trick question, 21st. (laughs) Um, He's the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, and he is the one who said, if you die fighting in Ukraine, all of your sins will be forgiven. It's not just a U.S. discussion, right? Uh, So we're going to talk about 
expanding this definition a little bit. There is a, a book I want to recommend to you. I, I want to recommend it to you, so I put it on this resource list. Uh, the, we'll have a fight for the, these 20 pieces of paper on the way out later. And uh, those of you who lose the fight, you know, we'll wait for the electronic version to come out in the newsletter this week. Um, <clears throat> but one of the books on this list is by David Koizis, K-O-Y-Z-I-S. It's called Political Visions and Illusions. And he surveys various political ideologies and he says, here's why they appeal to us, because they actually capture something about the goodness of God's creation. And here's where they go wrong, because they take that good thing from God's creation and they make a God out of it and it becomes an idol. And it does that for your favorite political ideology. And it does that for the ideologies you hate. Because it does that for all these ideologies. And one of those is nationalism. We've got a great chapter on nationalism. And he says, here are the two good things, true things, that nationalism gets. Number one, it understands that, that there is some positive value in, in saying we belong together because we are citizens of the same country. Or we belong together because we're from the same ethnic group. To understand nationalism, you have to understand what a nation is. I will go ahead and tell you that uh, there's all kind of debate over what constitutes a nation. For some people, it's ethnic group. The word ethnos in Greek is often translated nation. Um, and for some people, a nation is a geopolitical entity, could be made up of all kinds of different ethnic groups. So how you define nationalism is going to depend on how you define nation. That's more than we can swallow today. But it is true that belonging to the same group, because as, as a citizen or as a a member of a certain culture or a language group or ethnic group brings with it a sense of togetherness and belongingness, and that's not a bad thing. You didn't have to stop being Jewish when you became a Christian in the first century. Right? You don't have to stop being American to be a Christian. You don't have to stop being an Aberdeen supporter. You know, you can love soccer. And, and love your fellow soccer fans and be a Christian. And nationalism gets that. That's a good thing. It can distort that by making an idol out of it. And it's a corrective to the hyper-individualization of modern Western culture. Like, I'm in it for myself, and I don't care that you know my parents. I'm not inviting you to my wedding because I don't know you personally. Very individualistic. Nationalism is a corrective. That those are good, healthy things about nationalism. Um, here's some core traits of nationalism: nostalgia, desire to return to a time when a group like us had more cultural and political influence. Not surprisingly, that nostalgia is going to be triggered in moments of threat, perceived threat. Hey. This nation or this group within the nation embodies values and traditions that are under threat 
They are under attack. They're going to be lost. And if we don't do something about it right now, all those good things we treasure and love are going to be destroyed forever. And so we want to kind of turn back the clock a bit. And Coises says, hey, every political ideology has its uh, redemption story. What does ultimate salvation look like? And it has its ultimate evil. Uh, you know, what are we being redeemed from? And in the nationalist narrative, the, the worst evil imaginable is being ruled by someone unlike oneself. That's Coises's phrase. Right, so those are some of the marks of nationalism. I think as believers in Jesus, we have to understand we live in God's good world. There is almost always something good about everything. I said almost. Almost always. Something good. Not everything good about anything in this world. Right? But almost always something good. So there are some positive factors within nationalism but then it becomes distorted. It takes a couple of forms. I'm drawing this from an article by Russell Moore. And this may be the most practical payoff I've found in all my reading. It's kind of like, yeah, but what do people use Christian nationalism to do? And he says two sorts of things, one of which is... Uh, both of which are negative, but one of which seems to be far worse than the other. So, one form that Christian nationalism takes is that a group will use some understanding of Christianity. Bob, we're coming back to your comment earlier. Not all people who claim to be Christian nationalists understand what Christianity is. If you go to Europe right now, you will find many political parties with the word Christian in their name, and you'll have them as options to vote for. The Christian Democrats in Germany, for example, their political platform in the 1800s when they uh, were formed was shaped by Christian ethics. But over the years, that has completely retreated into the background. So there's no connection between the current party and any actual Christian beliefs and commitments. But they can't change their name or people won't know who to vote for. <laughs> but the word Christian in that context doesn't mean anything related to the actual Christian message. So Christian nationalisms will often use some understanding of Christianity as a way to mark who are the insiders and who are the outsiders. Christian nationalists say that the, the true believers, the true Christians, are the insiders, and everybody else is the outsider. And the real nation is made up of these insiders characterized by this kind of Christianity. So that's kind of a, how do we sort through insider-outsider? This next form of Christian nationalism takes another step and says, we're going to use our theology, which may or may not be biblical, and it may or may not be Christian. It may have nothing to do with Christianity. 
but we're going to make religious statements and use those as a way to justify aggression, maybe even violence, authoritarian measures. Almost like a God gives us permission to hate you. Not all Christian nationalists are taking that step. But there are forms of Christian nationalism that do take that step. Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill, for example. We will justify killing Ukrainians because we're a Christian nation where we want our sins forgiven. So those are a couple of forms. So if you know a Christian nationalist and you're afraid that they're living down here, maybe, maybe that fear is unjustified. Maybe they're this flavor of Christian nationalist. Right? Or if you know a Christian nationalist and you're like, I don't need to be that afraid. Well, maybe you do. You need to know them deeply. Know more, more about who they are. Um, <clears throat> now, we're building towards some conclusions here. Here's my modification of Stephen Grosby's definition that makes it specific to Christian nationalism. His words are in yellow, and the stuff I've added is in orange. Christian nationalism, belief that the nation is the instrument of God and the home of his people. Maybe not the only home of God's people, but that in some way our nation, this nation, whether it's Russia or Italy or the United States, some, in some way, this nation is the home of God's people so that there's such alignment between the nation and God that it's okay to say the nation is the only goal worthy of pursuit. If you pursue this vision for the nation, you are pursuing God. God's vision for the nation as defined by true believers, the insiders, not the outsiders. That insider could be defined politically, it could be defined ethnically, linguistically, people who speak this language, not that, uh, people who are Russian Orthodox, not Eastern Orthodox, all kinds of ways to, to define who the true believers are. But there's some group of true believers who really get it, who really get Christianity, and who really get how Christianity aligns with the nation. And that vision demands unquestioned and uncompromising loyalty. And that's what leads to the kind of get with the program, silence all the other voices. <clears throat> Some of the errors that Christian nationalism commits, one, substitution. It substitutes the biblical promises for God's people, Israel in the Old Testament, the church as that vision is expanded under the New Testament. It, it substitutes promises God has made to his people as promises for this nation, that nation, the nation, this group within the nation. Right? So that when Jesus says, my disciples are the city shining on a hill, and the early colonists in Massachusetts say, we are the city shining on the hill. Wait a second. Jesus' city sh shining on the hill is spread over the whole globe. And uh, th that substitution happens. Confusions. The ways of the nations are the ways. Uh, uh, the ways of the nation are the ways of God. If our nation is doing it, it's what God wants. The nation's heroes are God's heroes. If you're fighting the commies, you're God's man. Even if you're an atheist. 
If you die fighting the Ukrainians, you are God's martyr. Duty to nation equals duty to God. Obviously, this is not Christian at all. This is um, committing a core error uh, that the Bible would call idolatry within Christian nationalism. You see the tail wag the dog, right? Shaping the national or ethnic identity is the overarching goal. Christianity is just a tool to get there within Christian nationalism. Uh, quote from Francis Schaeffer, patriotic loyalty is not bad. It's good. We'll talk about that more next week. But it must not be identified with Christianity. Not all patriots are Christians. These two can't be confused. As Christians, we're responsible to carry Christian principles into our relationship to the state, but we must not make our country and Christianity to be synonymous. Very important to hear that quote from this person. Next week, we'll talk about why that's so important. Someone sitting on the front row probably already knows the answer to that question. Your pastor wants you to know that Christian nationalism is not Christian. Next week, we'll talk more about why I want you to know that not everyone who gets labeled as a Christian nationalist actually is a Christian nationalist. But Christian nationalism, defined the way we're defining it this morning, where you have made an idol of belonging to the in-group, and you've demanded ultimate allegiance and loyalty to that, that's idolatry. And that has nothing to do with Christ. Christian nationalism understood that way is not Christian. And I want you to know that. It makes a God of the nation. It makes a God of the group. Is the true, that's the true nation, the pure nation. Christian nationalism, not Christian. It leaves no room for overlapping claims on our loyalty. I can't be a Christian and a citizen of the country at the same time. I have to be, I have to slide those two groups together. I can't be a true citizen and critique the policies of the nation. I can't have those overlapping loyalties to the dissenting group and the citizen group. I got to get with the program. God's word always leaves space for these overlapping loyalties. I can be Trisha's husband and your pastor at the same time. I can be Jim's friend and Wes's friend at the same time. I can be a Clemson fan and cheer for Washington tomorrow night at the same time. Wes might dispute that, but you know we'll have a conversation later. Gospel peace. What did Jesus say? I want you to know what Jesus says. Luke chapter 21. Watch out that you're not deceived. Many will come in my name claiming I am he. We should not be surprised that we live in a world where people are going to say your ultimate allegiance should be given to this thing instead of to Jesus. Jesus said that would happen. He knows the world we live in. And everything he's about to say in this chapter, Luke 21, 
His disciples just asked him, hey, is the end near? And Jesus is unpacking his answer. And everything he says is under this umbrella. Do not be frightened. Now, he wouldn't have to say that if we lived in a world where things that make us frightened weren't about to happen. Things will happen that will make you frightened. People will make demands of you that are inconsistent with your loyalty to me. But I got you. You're mine. Fear is not the motivator. You have a place to take your fear. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. They will seize you and persecute you. Now just listen to the logic of that sentence. You, the disciples, are not ever going to be identified with a single nation. That would be you seizing you. So they will seize you. You're going to be scattered among all kinds of nations and living in all kinds of kingdoms under all kinds of kings and kings and governors. And your loyalty to me will often look out of step with the politics of your day, the kings and the governors of your day. And some people won't get it, and they will misunderstand. They will think you're leading some kind of political revolt, just like they thought I was claiming to be a second Caesar. Being misunderstood, it goes with the territory. Don't be afraid. Your testimony to me should make it clear that your ultimate loyalty is not to any king, to any governor, to any nation, to any kingdom. It's to me. And Jesus has this way of talking very plainly about horrible things. Are some of these uh, kind of conflicts over the relationship between being a follower of Jesus and being a citizen of the nation, the kingdom, under the authority of the king, the governor, are those going to lead to awkward conversations within families? Yes. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and sisters and relatives and friends. Finding it hard to have a conversation about what it means to be loyal to Jesus in a world that demands so many other loyalties, it is going to make for difficult conversations with those we love sometimes. Jesus knows that. He understands it. Don't be afraid. I got you. I'm with you. I've been there before. They will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Wait, Jesus, walk me through that logic again. Not a hair on my head is going to be harmed, but they're going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have anything to be afraid of. I will keep you safe. But you might have to die in the process. And 
And I'll teach you how to hold those things together. I've done it myself. I know how to be killed and kept safe at the same time. Do you have a place to take your fear? If you are a believer in Jesus, your pastor wants you to know the answer to that question is always yes. You have a place to take your fear, whether it's fear about the, the, the people who use the word Christianity even understand what it means, fear about politics, fear about our parents, our friends, how to talk to our kids, fear about the person we're sitting beside, arguments that might develop if we don't take the same view of this or that. You always have a place to take that fear. The root of Christian nationalism is fear. Something is under threat, and we have to fight the threat. And then those of us who are afraid of Christian nationalism perceive it as the new threat, and we have to fight that threat. So everybody's afraid, and you've got a place to take that fear. We don't have to take it out on each other. Jesus himself spoke to these issues. Listen to the language he uses. He's talking about nations and kingdoms and political rulers and authorities. He's not living in some la-la world. He's with us. That helps us build bridges. Your pastor wants you to know people who don't believe what you do. This is God's calling for us. We can't be salt and light. We can't be a sent people if we don't know people who believe differently than we do. Your pastor wants you to know people who don't believe the same things you do. They might be Christian people who don't believe the same things you do about politics. They might be people who aren't Christians, who do believe the same things you do about politics, but not about Jesus. Right? That pie can be sliced in so many ways. Build bridges to people who don't believe the same things you do. I've listed some questions on our handout that I think could, could feed into that. Think, about, think like this. What if you're talking to someone who doesn't have a place to take their fear? What if they're afraid that Christians are about to take over their whole culture and silence them, and they have no place to take that fear? Whew, that'd be a hard place to live. Can you comfort that person? Can you learn more about what they're afraid of and why? Can you ask them, do they have a place to take that fear? And hear how they respond. Can you tell them where you take your fear? Or what if you, what if you truly believe that there's no basis for any moral judgment that we're making it all up blind as we go. 
and that Christians are now trying to impose things that they've made up and don't really believe on everyone else. Would you be angry about that? Yeah. No wonder. No wonder people are angry and afraid. What if you remember hearing your grandfather tell stories about World War II and you remember the scars it left on him and he showed you the pictures of trees with body parts hanging out of the branches and told you stories about how he was part of the operations putting those people back together. And what if every time somebody criticizes the nation you live in, it, it makes you hurt for his memory? There might be a story behind that hurt. There might be a story behind that fear. Get to know people who are sympathetic to Christian nationalism and find out why. Get to know people who hate it and are mad at it and find out why. And ask them where they are taking their fear. And show them what it looks like to live a life that isn't dominated by fear because we have a place to take our fear. Your pastor wants you to know that uh, in 12 minutes, our worship service will start. <clears throat> so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to leave. And uh, I will leave a few copies. If you need a hard copy of our resource list, it'll be here. Watch your newsletter for an electronic copy with all the links in it. And uh, let me pray for us. Lord, at the end of the day, what um, in town's pastor wants in town to know is not what matters most. What do you want us to know? You are our Father. You are our King. It is your will that should be done on earth as it is in heaven, not ours. Lord, make us faithful to love Jesus more than everything else put together so that we are then ready and strengthened to love people so that they can know more about what it means to be loved by Jesus. This is our prayer for every nation where your people are present. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture and Christianity. In-Town Community Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find out more information about our church on our website, intown.org. If you would like more information, please contact us at askintown at intown.org.